Lights Inside the Tunnel, a podcast where we talk about what social justice means in the time of social distancing. I'm your host, Fiona, and this is our season finale, Emerging from the Tunnel, What's Next for COVID, Community, and Country. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Lights Inside the Tunnel for our season finale. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us during this little hiatus the past couple weeks. Um, I wanted just to give everybody, um, me, our guests, our listeners, just the space to take finals and finish the semester strong. Um, So like I said, this is the last episode for this season. Um, And while preparing this episode, I was doing a lot of reflecting. And I've just been doing a lot of reflecting in life generally as the, you know, the way the trajectory of kind of our common lives are moving is in this forward kind of direction. Um, And, you know, so I've been thinking a lot about how so much of life has changed these past few months and not to mention in, you know, like at the beginning of 2020, we were all setting out, you know, our new year's goals and no one imagined life would be so irreversibly changed, you know, in January. Um, And that's the truth, right? Like there is, when I say life is irreversibly changed, I mean that there is no normal to go back to um, at least for a long time especially until we make progress with a vaccine. And that's a process which I and no one should want to rush. Um, and that's a lot to sit with. And I, it's been kind of on my heart and I've been reflecting on it. Um, so I wanted to bring someone whose um, wisdom and, you know, just insight about life and her compassion is unparalleled. And she's also a fan favorite guest. Um, so I wanted her to talk about you know, what does social justice look like kind of in this new post-COVID-19 era? So please give a warm welcome to Julia Walsh. Hello. That was so sweet. Well, it's true. You know, I was thinking, you know, I thought this would be kind of the best way to finish the season up considering that you were our first guest and it only feels right that you kind of bookend this for all of us. Oh, well, thank you. I really, I really enjoyed being on that first episode, and I'm very, very happy to be back. This is exciting for me. This is oh, good. This is good. Yeah. So, so I kind of mentioned this a little bit in when I was talking in the introduction, which that was definitely a longer introduction than I normally do. Um, but I've just been wrestling with this idea of normal. Oh yeah. Why? Because. I keep hearing people talk about wanting to go back to normal. I mean, I find myself wanting to go back to this, like, quote, unquote, normal, right? But then when I really start to unpack this idea of, like, what does normal mean? I've come to realize that... Normal doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. And it's not... No matter where life is going, we are not going back to what normal was a couple months ago so I've kind of in my mind I've started to call what I start to call kind of like this time period of life as like the before the during and the after huh and not to say that like coronavirus didn't exist 
before March, because obviously it did. And not to say that coronavirus doesn't exist after, you know, society kind of reopens up to as, you know, fully functioning capabilities as it can. But just like in the time where we are not like literally shutting our economies and our lives down, you know, where people are going back to work in some semblance of normal movement like that is. So I'm not like when I'm talking about before, during and after, I'm not necessarily talking about coronavirus but i'm more talking about just like quarantining um the the curve you know the peak of the curve maybe i don't know yeah Um, it's no i i totally see where you're coming from i haven't heard it like posited in that way and i really like i I like that idea well and so the other thing that kind of has gotten me there is so you know I'm, i'm gonna be fully transparent with you um my family all listened to the first episode we filmed together. Awesome. And we, my, my family, we've been through, we have adopted a phrase that you said hmm. in the first episode, which is just contextualize your privilege. Oh, I love that that yeah. caught on. Yes. No, it, it did. It's at least in my household. And we've been saying it a lot throughout this whole process and I think I have a sneaking suspicion that it may or may not come up a couple times in this conversation um but in terms of contextualizing the idea of normal like normalcy is a performance of privilege right oh yeah oh yeah like in this idea that for some of us this you know all of this has just been like a disruption a heartbreaking disruption to our lives but for other people this has been completely life altering oh yeah it's it, that's a i think that's a really important distinction to make like as a as a, a both of like speaking kind of from where we're coming from as as students i had a we both had homes to go back to um that we both had stability where we could we can safely quarantine we're not overly concerned about where our next paycheck is coming from. Both of my parents are, have been working remotely. Um, that like, it's, I, I've been, I've been thinking about that quite a bit, especially as it's gotten warmer out and <laughs> the way that like our social interaction is modifying to, to stay safe. Um, but I, yeah, that's a really big, that's, a, and that's, it's so I and I'm, I think we mentioned it in the first episode. I recently graduated from Lemoyne. Um, yes. As of like, I think now it's four days or five days, um, and that was I in January. I had a very specific idea about where I wanted to be and what was feasible, and that is totally different now. And I'm very right. lucky in terms of, aka, contextualizing my privilege that I have. I accepted a job at a local grocery store um, because I need to be able to pay off my loans. I have the flexibility. Um, I have the trans time and I can be home and I, I can contribute. Um, but that's a, there's a friend of mine um, who I grew up with who lives down the street from me, uh, went to uh, Syracuse university and he is still living in Syracuse. Like he lives in off-campus housing because his father is on the older side. And his parents said, like, we 
are not comfortable with you coming home because of the people you live with and the, the situation that you are living in because we are immunocompromised. Right. And like, that's one of those, those things that like, he has a safe place to be, even if it's not home. And that's contextualizing like that. It's not everybody has that flexibility. Right. And the other thing, like, and, and kind of the balancing act that I do in my mind is that it's also like, I also want every person to feel seen in this. Oh, yeah. Um, in the sense that, like, obviously some of us are elevated on a platform of privilege where we are intrinsically more seen than other people. Um, but more so what I'm getting at is this idea that, like, this has been a time of loss for everyone. Oh, yeah. Like, like there is something that everyone has lost or missed out on. And there has been a feeling of sadness associated to this yeah. for everyone, you know, like, and I don't want to sound like I'm comparing here at all. Um, but just saying that, like, there have been varying levels of heartbreak and pain. I mean, I'm sure you, you felt that. Yeah, right? like, it was kind of, sorry, continue. I was just gonna say I was just like all you know kind of the way you saw your senior year ending this transition into this next phase of life happening like none of that is really and and that must in some way kind of feel like a loss oh yeah that was uh, at first I think it had it didn't hit me until like the beginning of May because mm -hmm. I think in my mind it was like okay it's gonna happen I'm gonna because one I was very kind of preoccupied with my schoolwork and two, it was just, this is going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. And then um, I was apply I um, was a finalist for a post-grad job in my field um, that I didn't get because the job itself no longer exists. And that was kind of when it hit me that it was um, the, the job that I had applied for was contingent on people being able to visit this museum. And if they don't have visitors they can't feasibly hire this new position. Um, and that, that was kind of when it hit me how, like the, the idea that like there is not going to be a normal to go back to, the normal we will know will be new. That right. like, exactly. it's a, and that's the, the thing I'm very thankful for to Lemoyne is like, yes, it's a big loss not to be able to have like a normal senior week and a normal graduation ceremony. But um, our fearless leader, Dr. Lemira, um, is very insistent that it's not going to happen on a normal time frame, but there will be a ceremony. I will be handing you a piece of paper like I will be engaging yeah. with you. Um that's, that's kind of like the, the recognition that it might not be on a normal schedule or in a normal way, but it, it's going to happen because we see you. Right. Right. Well, and I think the way that you just kind of framed it is exactly what I was, I'm trying to articulate in the sense that, um, you know, for those of us in a privileged position who, you know, have not lost jobs who've not had family members who've lost jobs who've not had you know people in our lives lose their lives you know yeah. any of the like definitely way more serious implications of this like there has been a loss of normalcy yeah for people. and i and i do want to say that like that loss is also something valid to feel yeah like, absolutely and i think kind of the the 
beauty of that because here's because to kind of connect the first point with our current point is this idea that like so we've lost normalcy right but normalcy is also a performance of privilege yeah so when we're wrestling with this uncomfortability um just this like this this sense of like sadness about like you know not being able to go back to a normal you know I think we kind of have to sit in that and we have to get a little bit of uncomfortable and think about you know well maybe we shouldn't go back to normal because normal maybe it was good for me but it was not good for a lot of people in this world and I think that the fact that we have kind of collectively, those of us in a privileged position in life, you know, have lost normalcy. I think it really puts us in a situation where we are one more compassionate to hearing the stories and the experiences of people that have been pushed to the margins of society. Yeah. You know, because for once, you know, not for once, but like for since this was such a universal experience in the sense that like, you know, this is this was just like a world life altering event. You know, there is some way in which this is like we there's a human level of connection here that is so often missing. For, you know, like, I think so much sometimes it's easy for people to be like, oh, well, you know, like that sounds or seems terrible, but like that has nothing to do with me or I have no way to connect to that. Yeah. Like we all have a way to kind of connect to this experience. Yeah. At levels. And I think for those of us who are mourning the loss of normal, we have to reflect on how do we build an after that creates a normal that is equitable and just and full of solidarity. I think you that is an excellent point. And I think um, in a very unfortunate way, it's kind of being demonstrated in the way that certain groups are responding to quarantine and to COVID itself that, um, I mean, this is something that's familiar um, unfortunately, in the news is the the shooting of Ahmad Arbery, um, right? And how and and having that t- absolutely catastrophically terrifying event happen at simultaneous to armed protests at state capitol buildings of people refusing to quarantine, right. and it's that. I think for me has been the most stark um, example of the way that the normal that we left behind should not be the normal we return to Um, because uh, a young, a young man running in his neighborhood should not like that is not justification for violence. And the idea that, to self-quarantine and to stay at home and yes maybe the economy will be slowing down but if we're doing this to protect each other we're all going to lose something but the thing that we will gain is our and maintain is our lives and our health and to have so much backlash against something meant to protect the population occur at the same time as some as something as senseless 
but as calculated as Ahmad's um, killing is the first, like the week that that the video came out was I was so I didn't have a lot of words to talk about it yet because I was so upset and so like appalled. Right. Yeah, no, um, so, uh, there was an image circulating online that, um, that that an online artist drew, and it was a picture of, it was a cartoon picture of Colin Kaepernick kneeling, um, and underneath it said, like, 100% traitor that have been used to describe his act of protest and solidarity, and then standing next to him was a person holding a Confederate flag and a sign that said, I need a haircut. And underneath where the words were like, patriot, American hero, like that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, oh. And that juxtaposition in that image really also encapsulated, you know, um, I don't, I forget have have you ever seen or heard from um little miss flint yes i have seen that yes so she had a tweet that went viral um a couple weeks ago or a couple days ago or whenever it was um where she just said our protests are not the same you know saying that like flint still does not have clean water yeah there are people who are like mad that they can't get a haircut. Yeah, that's um, the one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and I, I, I had a question. I'm trying to think about like what that question was. Um, if that's and and this is something like I want to make clear as well from a like a legal perspective is yes, Americans have the right to free speech and to free assembly and to free belief systems. But if one of those belief systems is advocating for policy that will harm someone else, then that's yelling fire in a crowded theater, which is the kind of um, the exception to the rule. And I think that's something that I haven't seen, but is something that I I, I, um, maybe... This is one of those things that if you don't see it, make it so that others will see it. Um, yeah. That kind of like needing a haircut is not the same as requiring the ability to freely jog on the street. Like those are not the same thing. Um, right. I, well. No, well, no, that's, that's that was the end of my thought. Well, I was just going to say like if we think about kind of the intersection between the um, Declaration of Independence, the American Constitution, and um, the kind of the tenets of Catholic social teaching, all of those documents prioritize life, liberty, and some sort of flourishing. You know, like we tend to refer to it as um, the pursuit of happiness in the American context, but, um, you know, uh, the, the Catholic church refers to it as the life and dignity of the human person with the dignity. Um, and just the sense that like, 
haircuts, being able to cut your hair is not so much dignity affirming as it is to like have free movement in your neighborhood to be able to have access to clean water like there there is a stark difference absolutely just a listening to this episode back fiona jumping in here for a quick interruption i do want to clarify that you know in many ways the ability to get your hair cut is and can be dignity affirming The point that Julie and I are trying to articulate here that I'm not sure if we're making totally clear is that there's a double standard when it comes to giving and providing dignity to every person within this country. Um, And the juxtaposition between Ahmaud Arbery or Colin Kaepernick or Little Miss Flint and the protesters in many states who are demanding that um, the rules uh, make an exception for them is there's a stark difference there Um, and one of those protests aka the protests of people who want haircuts and want you know to gridlock streets and prevent doctors um, from getting to their COVID patients it's more so about individualism the problem with that is individualism and and um rejection of solidarity whereas um the access to clean water the freedom of movement the ability to stand in solidarity with others and not be punished for that is all about dignity dignity of the human person belongs to all people and our actions should be a model of solidarity to enable all people to have dignity if that makes sense again just to connect back to the tweet that i mentioned earlier this idea that their protests are not the same the protests surrounding um you know, the lack of clean water in Flint, Michigan, Colin Kaepernick's protesting of police brutality, the reaction and outrage in response to um, the modern-day lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, all of those protests are meant to point out structural racism and inequality within this country and, you know, try to undo systems of privilege whereas the protests asking for haircuts and asking for the economy to open up not so those people can go back to work but so that other people can go back to work and serve them is a performance of privilege in the form of a protest which is why it is different um And I think, so, the thought that I had earlier was just this idea that, um, you know, maybe people who are listening to this are a little apprehensive about what we're saying, you know, thinking that, like, it is, quote-unquote, unpatriotic or un-American of us to have these criticisms or be, like, you know, more specifically 
a lot of what's been happening in this whole conversation is there's been a lot of finger pointing to other countries. Yeah. You know, diverse. They like, oh, well, you know, like blame China or Russia's probably lying about how many people have been infected there. Like all of that, like just like that, that narrative always makes me think of like what my mom used to tell me as a kid, where it would be like, um, where she would like um, compliment my sister and I would be like, well, what about me? Like, and my mom would be like, I'm not talking to you. Like, I'm talking about her. You yeah. Know? Like, that negate your reality. Yeah. But I'm, I'm focusing on this instance right now. Um, and, and I bring this up because I was just reading today in an article that, like, um, countries in Europe, like the United Kingdom and Denmark, are spending over are subsidizing over 75% of workers' wages Wow! in the countries right now. Respectively, I think it's like 90 and 80% um, just to keep people employed, yeah. you know, and people feeling like they have purpose and to, like, save the small businesses in the community. Um, and that's an investment in people, right? Yeah. So, you know, if people are listening and they're, like, wondering why we're not talking about other places in the world one we're familiar with what's happening here and now um and two you know i think because like this isn't intentionally political but i think a lot of times the act i don't think politics can really be separated from things i think like politics is inherently personal absolutely act of survival and justice is like is a is a political question do i have a book for you oh i can't so and this is so one of the last classes i took at lemoyne um was supposed to be a study abroad course um but it was on um politics and theater in prague um and and czechoslovakia and but specifically the czech republic and prague And one of the books we read for the end of class, because we had to modify the course um, because we were no longer traveling and um, still were required to do work to fulfill the credit hours. Um, We read a book by Slavenka Drakulic called How We Survived Communism and Even Laughed. Um, And she's a journalist from, um, I believe she's Romanian, Um, Mm -hmm. but she kind of she came of age um in communist romania um and that what the things that she talked about in terms of um politics it's fascinating so she opens the book saying that um survival is political and specifically the mundane is inherently political and as a result she specifically speaks to the issues of women under communism because she talks about that frequently mundane labor um and like the everyday labor of survival typically fell on women in a very particular like in a very specific way um but that's a theme throughout the whole book and she takes there's a chapter about uh laundry specifically as like an act and as something that is politicized because of the way that the world is so i do think it's important to acknowledge the fact that um and it's it's becoming inherently clear in co- in this covid reality is that everyday things that we do are political 
even if we don't intend them to be. And right. and that that does not necessarily mean you have to have a stance. It just means that the ways that our society and our world is set up is that all of the ways that you can interact with the world are different. Therefore, they are politicized. Um, right. So that. Well, you know, no, oh, no, that's ahead. I just in in a covid world i think it's it's interesting because it that again highlights the idea that um a haircut is political in the same in in a way right. that it wasn't before but the idea that public space has been politicized in a more widespread way that it's something that um that occupying space is something that of a privileged and it is something you didn't have to think about um you meaning me that you and i are both right. um white women from upstate new york young right that exactly. like we didn't have to think about the way that we occupied public space but now right. anyone that doesn't fit that normal mode frequently has to think about public space the elderly anyone that is of a, 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 an ethnic or racial background that is not homogeneous to the popu to the place they live, right. but now we all have to think about it in a more in a hyper conscious way. And right. I think it's important well, to acknowledge that COVID has made the politicization of our world more clear. Right, and well, what I think you you bring up such an important point in the sense that this is not news to anyone who has felt the burden of structural injustice their entire yes. lives whether that be structural racism whether that be um heteronormativity whether that be ableism like um ageism like all of this all of those things that are like embedded into the structures of how we live um you know, this idea that, like, survival is political, existence is political, that is not news to no. anyone. But it is news to people who occupy privileged spaces. And and I don't mean to sound like I'm condemning anyone. No, it's, it's you, if it is not a problem, you don't see it. You, right. you and I know this from our, our um, infamous uh, masculinities class with Dr. Farah Turnikar, a queen, McIntyre's invisible knapsack. You only see, right. you only know what you lack. Like you don't right. understand the it's so just for our listeners, um the idea of the invisible knapsack is like you have tools at your disposal as a human being to go through life. But if you have a certain level of privilege, you have that that like resource but you don't know life without that resource. So you don't see it as a, as a resource, but if. And you've done nothing to earn yes. that resource. Like it was. It's intrinsic. Right. So. Based on things you cannot control, like how yes. you look, where you were born. Um, yeah, no. And so, so I think like, cause obviously it is, challenging for the two of us to kind of be like well you know we need to pass this policy and we need to advocate for yeah. it you know like when we talk about like what's next it's more of a mindfulness exercise yeah. than it is 
telling people what to think and what to believe because obviously one i no yeah not not my job Uh, not my job god gave you a brain and you know it is up to me to respect you to use that um but but it, it but you know hopefully like us kind of talking through this my hope is that like we're because we're kind of performing this is how like so many of our conversations go we perform kind of an exercise of like theorizing and using real life examples to think out like what the future is going to look like what the what is the future that we want um so that's really kind of what this is just like a side note of like telling people kind of what like what I'm hoping if people like are at the end of this and they're like well she didn't tell me like what you know what's going no like I don't I would never want to do that but like this is kind of like when I ask like what's next this is like these are the questions I'm asking myself these are the questions I'm asking people I admire and respect yeah. and, and then like, it's it's an exercise of like these things that we talk about to prompt other conversations for other people that, like right and that's like a gift this is such a I I have to say I really enjoy doing this because you and I do have these conversations regularly just without yeah a, a soapbox of sorts so to be able to do this <laughs> and to maybe start a conversation that exists outside the two of us is like a really powerful thing right. and that's another that's another thing that I when I get very sad about the things that I can't I can't do in this reality i think about how lucky we are that we're that covid happened in a reality where we all have computers um and that's my my mom teaches fourth grade um and she regularly has zooms and google meets with her students and it's part of what's keeping all of them sane because this this would have been so much more difficult if we did not have this access that we do to the world um so right that's another and that again that's another privilege um regular access to electricity and internet um but boy oh boy am i thankful for it yeah no no i agree well and i guess like kind of what I'm, I'm thinking of and what I'm kind of trying to like circle back to because you know this idea like to kind of tie I'm, I'm no you you are a-okay just to kind of try to tie like all of these kind of different like individual segments yeah. together is this idea that like um if if existence is political and you know desiring for a more just and equitable future is also political it means we have to be critical of the quote unquote normal that existed for privileged people like myself um and that involves heavy structural criticism. And I think people get really afraid of that because it feels like a slippery slope. Like it feels like you're saying like, you know, I don't know that you like 
hate thinking yeah. about this country. I, like, that is I am of so... the I totally agree with you. And I am of kind of the persuasion that if you love something, anything, you can look at it and think about it critically. That right. I the United States is a great place. I'm very thankful for it. Yeah. But it has large issues. And if I truly care about right. the United States and the, the idea of like maintaining this like imperfect union that we have, like right, forever shifting towards that it, Yeah, that, that if, if I if if you love something like the US, we can look at it and say, you know, there's places we can improve. And that's right. That I think and to get back to so Catholic social teaching, that that's something that um, we are instructed to do, that St. Ignatius is very much an Ignatian thought, too, is he questioned everything, and he encourages us to question everything. Not in the sense that we don't trust, but in the sense that you want to know more, and you want to fix the things and the issues that you see. And I think there's a very... And it, it frequently gets ignored, but there's a very big difference between outright criticism and critical observation. Right, exactly. Well, and so I, um, uh, I can't, re I can't remember who said this. It, it was some famous activist, but um, it, it was a woman, and she said that criticism. And um, disruption in the sense of, like, going against the status quo, um, not in the sense of, you know, going outside and asking yeah. for a haircut, but, like, being against the structural status quo, i.e., you know. Intense regional spatial racism. <laughs> right. Um, you know, <laughs> A healthcare system which does not take care of the most vulnerable, um, prioritizing corporations and the one percent over the working class yeah. and the ninety nine percent, like the list goes on. Um, like that, protesting against that kind of you know structural thing that is inherently yes. patriotic. And the challenge that I would then kind of add to that assessment that that activist put on it is that. That is inherently a performance. Of oh faith. yeah, that if you if you believe in something, then you believe in the ability to fix it. Right. Well, and I also think that like, um, I joke about this with some friends back at school. I always say, I'm like Jesus. Oh yeah. Radical, <laughs> you know, like can, can you imagine what he would be saying right now about? And so often, like, the image that we have of Jesus is so sanitized yeah. and um, because there's a, there's a misunderstanding of kind of the cultural significance of the time and place and the things that he did. Um, yeah, and I think that, like, and you brought up St. Ignatius, and I think it's very much within the Jesuit tradition, this whole idea of, like, setting the world on fire um like forever striving for something that is greater but something that oh, is yeah. also good and more good um yeah i i think and i mean that i don't mean to be redundant here but like 
this idea of like striving for more greatness and more goodness is a pursuit of social justice where I I say that I I give the disclaimer about redundancy there because social justice is also a huge tenet of Jesuit um, theology but I'm I'm more saying that it's like inherent to this idea that like we can be both great and good at the same time and I think that that is the kind of future we need Whereas right now, I think a lot of times we prioritize greatness yeah. over goodness with this like rugged individualism and survival of the fittest in an economic sense and, you know, individualism. I think I already said that. No, but I, I totally I mean? do. Um, I think that I think and it's interesting because COVID is highlighting the fact that there's that the crisis of compassion in the world because in some ways people are going above and beyond that um Mm -hmm. i've talked about i i don't know if i mentioned her in the first episode my roommate at lemoyne um is so my roommate at lemoyne did um air force rotc through su and was also a nursing student at saint joe's hospital um Oh, she's actually the first person to complete both. Um, they've never had a student wow. to do Air Force and nursing and graduate. And that and is she is someone that I count as a role model in my life for her kind of strength. Mm-hmm. And she has continued she has continued to even in a in a COVID world. Um, she's training in Florida um at the end of August and is maintaining this this kind of i'm going to be a nurse on a military base for military members who are traveling that like that it's she's she's walking in with clear eyes to a situation that is frightening that like that it's she's going to put herself on the line because she knows it's the right thing to do and that's the kind of i think there are people who see what they're good at and what they love and modifying it so that they can help others with it. And I think that's like the the key that it doesn't have to be something grand, but to actively critical, critically think about your life and what your place in it, not in a disparaging way, but in a, in a, okay, how can I help then? What, what tools do I have at my disposal to do good and to put good in this world so then other people right. can do good? Right. No, and I think, like, you know, if we go back to kind of the invisible metaphor um, or the invisible yeah. knapsack metaphor, excuse me, um, and this idea that, like, privilege is a set of tools, right? So we have that. And then we have this idea that... Um, normalcy is also a privilege um but and the performance of existing is inherently political so you know there's this there's a connection between normalcy and existence and yeah politicism we are building a web uh, <laughs> We are building a web here. I might need to re-listen to this and like to get out a whiteboard. And, like, <laughs> we should make a visual aid. 
Yes, yes. Um, coming to the Instagram yes. account near you. Um, but if we think about all of those things, like, and to go back to this idea that, like, we are all, especially people of privilege right now, are sitting in this space of being uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, we have to kind of genuflect on how we can utilize those tools of privilege to then build up that oh yeah and and i think i said this quite a bit in the first episode and it's something i tom and dino and i say to each other frequently is feel your feelings and that's one of those things that right feel your uncomfortable feelings don't don't just bake banana bread into a puzzle and make it go away like that kind of like under try and think about what is it that is making you uncomfortable and why and that's i'm it's it's an interesting exercise of trying to like do those things and think those those thoughts i find too that that actively um like bettering your mind is something that is is addresses the uncomfortability like to read something you wouldn't normally read to kind of seek out information that you wouldn't normally have the time to do i think this is for especially for recent graduates this is a great time to learn about things you wouldn't normally have learned about because you want to and because you can do something with it right well and i think you just articulated kind of exactly what I was trying to get at when I made that very confusing web, um, is this idea that, like, if existence in and of itself is a performance, if existence can be a performance of justice, then simply by the ways in which we think and move throughout society can be inherently intentionally just actions if we yes. want them to amen be. which can be really comforting in this idea that like thinking that the world or even just like the state the country is such a massive organization that like to change requires fundamental like huge mass political movements like that is all true yeah. I'm not discouraging that I'm up good big political movement um but this idea that like you can make a difference in like the way in which you monitor your thought actions um your thought patterns the ways in which you act and move throughout society yeah no Um, i totally yeah that it's like that that idea that anybody can be an activist that if there mm-hmm. will you will see a change in your life if you actively kind of think about the ways that you engage with the world and and to think about the good that you're right. already doing and how to expand on that like that kind of um i so both of us are familiar with the ignatian solidarity network um they have a great conference for yeah. high school and college students uh, in DC, but they put out this article. Actually, you sent it to me. The, this article about um, yes. restorative justice in a COVID era, and one of those things that they listed was actively mm-hmm. reaching out to others 
and kind of checking in if you can on other people. And that's something that I know I have a really hard time doing um, that. So when others do it for me, it's like a reminder to get out of my head. Like, look, you exist outside of your own brain and that it's, it's right. Um, I'm going to shout her out just because she is a, a lovely person and also very active in campus ministry. Michaela LeBlonde has been a godsend um, that yeah. we schedule FaceTime like zoom zooms every week so that we can talk to each other because we both have a hard time reaching out and making sure that are you okay? And asking that and genuinely putting yourself in a position to receive whatever answer than not in a um, kind of a pleasant, ple- like not in pleasantries, but asking how are you doing and, and yeah. ready to receive whatever answer comes to you. Right. No, I kind of had that experience yesterday. Um, I've been like very, um, like very, very like opposed and like kind of having a visceral reaction to this idea of like, like leaving my house for a social event that, you know, was that, you know, seemed non-essential. But um, yesterday evening, my high school group of girlfriends convinced me they were like, listen, we're all just going to go park our cars, sit in our trunks. We're all going to be like more than six feet away from each other. Um, and we're just going to talk like and and you need to come. Yeah. because we all need this. And I realized like when that was kind of when they um, they put it in those terms, I realized that it was like the only thing that was because obviously we were following all guidelines which the state and the federal government had set for us, that it was really just fear that was holding me back. Uh, And fear of what? I don't really know. But this idea that, like, once it actually happened, I realized how much I actually needed that. And not only needed to be, like, checked in on by people, but how much I needed to check in on other people to kind of make me feel... Yes, I totally, you and I, we mentioned it before we kind of started recording, but um, the other night you and I and two of our other, two of our other campus ministry friends watched the Taylor Swift concert documentary over Zoom. I really like enjoyed that because it was just, and it it wasn't any kind of like deep interaction. It was just, we like music. Let's other <laughs> like that's to be right. your age exactly to, to like that's and that's it was yeah. it was funny so my you know this but my birthday was on the 19th and um in the when I got up and I was eating breakfast and talking to my family both of my parents were just saying like you know when I was 22 this is what I was doing and they it was so funny because they sat and I think it was like the first time that it had really occurred to them, like our lives are vastly different and that it's okay. But that being in COVID, it doesn't have to exclusively be critical thought and exclusively be kind of bettering yourself and all of these things. Those things can happen at the same time as just being your age and being a person. Um, I think sometimes, and I have a hard time with that too, is that um, being a, a 
person in their early 20s does not mean that I have career time and development time and then free time that like kind of all of these things are a part of our existence and being able to kind of um, we are conglomerations that's one of my favorite words there are conglomerations of many different ideas and thoughts and desires and and dreams and that you don't you all of these things being you don't have to kind of separate out your yourself into different kind of existences of thought and action um that it's okay to just watch taylor swift (laughs) like it's yes yes well and i think that like i'm glad you brought up that example because i think like you know, we have talked, you and I, and this podcast and all of the guests, we've talked a lot about this idea of solidarity mm-hmm. this entire season, semester, you know, I, <laughs> I don't even one. know what to call it. Um, right, exactly. This COVID time. Um, and I think like that is such like, it, that feels very theoretical and like very hard to like, pin down my sister was doing um she's in high school she was doing a project for her religion class and one of the questions was um for her homework tonight was what is justice that's big she just was like (laughs) she was like and she like asked me for help i was like don't no like we could like really get into you could write a book like that's a (laughs) don't ask me um, or like anyone, probably yeah. just like go back into your notes. But um, but like so, so like things like that. Like, it feels really big and theoretical and hard to pin down. But I think like I think the Taylor Swift example, or you know, like talking to your parents over breakfast on your birthday, like just those real moments of like human connection. And, like, this feeling of, like, togetherness and oneness and just the sense of, like, a life that is greater than, like, the one yeah. moment existing in your head right now. Like, yeah. I think that's and what that's... solidarity is. And that, I was just going to say the effort to, like, push towards that feeling, to, like, drive yourself towards being with other people. No, that totally, I that 100% agree solidarity is not just something that like happens over conversations of scholars and theorists and it's like we talked in the first episode solidarity and hearing solidarity is yeah. is watching and learning and absorbing that it it doesn't have to be something that is standing and shouting with a poster can be solidarity but it can also be sitting quietly and yeah. and with an open heart and an open mind and that that's i think right that is the gift that is catholic social teaching because it's not you don't mm-hmm. the idea is that solidarity is for everyone and everything and that there's no one way to do it there's no one way to locate justice Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and so kind of like to answer my own question that I posed at the beginning of this, this idea of like, but what's next? 
is for me, I think the answer is like that we all have to think about what does it really mean to be men and women for and with others? And what does a society look like that is structured around being not only for others, but also Amen. with others? This is where I'd insert snaps. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, <laughs> very well said. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pull up. Okay, so I'm going to pull up a quote. Oh, that was my computer. No thing. worries. That wasn't supposed to no happen. No worries. Uh, I'm going to pull up a quote that I started in like. Ooh, full circle moments. Um, that like, if you want to like give like some last like. And also, I think that like I mentioned this in our episode too. Um, and to make this like <laughs> even more meta full circle, I got it in an email from oh. the Ignatian Solidarity Network. They're all on the so- same wavelength. <laughs> so it all. Yeah. So this is the quote. And I think it's really it pertains to kind of like what what we what I want the future to look like, you know, in this after normal world. So it's like this. So it says this. Um, Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. Oh, I remember Boyle, this. Who, um, I believe. That. Yes. And he's. I awesome. love that quote. And I think that that's something that. That's what we've been talking about the whole time. I in may in simple and, and eloquent terms that how do we how right. do we act in a way that we. Step back so that the margins margins and that's ah i love that i don't part of me doesn't want to reflect on that because i don't want to overcomplicate it because that's perfect (laughs) all right so so here i'll i'll give you something else to reflect on as we kind of wrap this up um so we i also mentioned that like i'm not here to tell anyone what to do like you know you said that too and i don't want anyone to feel like that you know, we're standing on super high soapboxes, like lecturing, you know, people no way. Say, I'm... think we're perfect or something. Um, no sure, way. We don't think we're perfect. <laughs> um, and we know we still have so much to learn and to from, learn from others, especially. Um, so I think like for me, and I think you'll appreciate this, is, you know, there's not one simple solution yeah. to tell everyone what to do, right? And I'm even going to suggest to people what they should be doing. I think the challenge is, is like after kind of like hearing and listening to us, like theorize this, the responsibility then becomes how am I, what is the future that I want to see as we start to go back to existing in society together and what it, how, how am I going to move throughout society in a way that like honors I the love existence that. of every single yeah, person. Yeah, because it's, and that's, yeah, justice does, is, is big and small scale. And that kind of, um, right. And I do, I, I really agree, I really can relate to that. 
Cause it's, I, I enjoy doing this like conversation with you because it's, I learn as we, as we talk that like both of us are yeah. young women kind of at the beginning of life essentially of like existing in a, in a public way. And that by having yeah. conversations we can learn and that this is, this is how you start figuring out what you, what the future looks like to you. And what what future you think? Right. Um, whatever we're coming at it from a Catholic perspective, but whatever kind of higher power you believe in, that what what is right? How can we get closer to that? And that's and and that's yeah. very abstract, but it's I think it's it's that justice and and finding solutions are rooted in compassion that it's it's yeah it's rooted in in and this is another this is another um idea that has come to me via tom andino but um our friend fred rogers um saying look for the helpers and that idea of in looking for the helpers you can become one Right. Well, I'm really glad you bring up Tom because um, Tom is absolutely incredible. Um, Has uh, he and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago that really um, touched my heart and made me kind of like think about really like presented me with a lot of these questions Um, and he just talked about like the importance of one conversations and the importance of two of like genuinely reaching out to people and like, you know, never taking like the commute across campus. Oh, I will never for granted again. Um, well, and I think like for me being mindful and hopeful and prayerful that we will be going back to campus in the fall and that hopefully like obviously your whole class will join us for some sort of con- yeah. commencement at some point um is this idea that like you know I want to carry like what Tom really inspired me to think about like throughout the rest of my time at Lemoyne and like be really my- like that is going to be my personal act of justice right like it's just going to be like reaching out to people to be open to having more conversations with people. I mean, I talk a lot, but like, you know, being more open to conversations with people and to like truly, truly listen. You know, sometimes I get really absorbed in the whole talking side of a conversation. I hear you. So much the listening side. Um, And to never, you know, take like those moments of like human interaction that are so fundamental for granted again um yeah so that's like my challenge to I, I really like that so that's oh yeah. I love it and that's that's as someone that is kind of unceremoniously left the heights I think there are lessons and people and mentalities that I want to be able to take with me into spaces that are not necessarily as oriented into Catholic social teaching as Lemoyne is and that's the kind of I uh, right 
having this the serenity and spunk of um beth scanlon and sister ann kenyon kind of on my shoulders are there are two people that i think about frequently is kind of how how to move how to move through a space with justice in mind but also with a level of grace that sometimes feels hard to muster when you're very angry or upset that that kind of how to how to find solutions yeah i'm glad you said the word grace because that is like the word that popped to the front of my head when thinking about the two of them yeah you know and and here's the other thing like obviously you mentioned this before like we're both coming from the catholic perspective but like you know if you feel really passionately about creating community because that is also a huge tenet of justice like it doesn't you know like our passion for justice is informed by our faith but you know and i and they're very interconnected yes obviously they're not mutually exclusive so like you know this this challenge of like how do we all exist in a better way in a more just and equitable way in a way that challenges our perceptions of normal oh like, yeah that's a challenge for everyone regardless of where you come from yeah so that's the only like lecturing i'm doing i'm just cha- it's yes. not even lecturing i'm just challenging yes. people oh and i'd love yeah. to see um what others think about kind of these things and and taking a personal challenge to this like who who and what are you taking with you yeah who have who have you added to your invisible knapsack in a conscious way what lessons what lessons are you taking with you right like what are you what are you never taking for granted again and what are you doing you know to I will. I will you know, never the take place. the cafeteria just... at Lemoyne for granted again. I like think about that. It's not necessarily yeah. from a, a cuisine perspective, but the idea that I could have a meal with anyone that went to Lemoyne that 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 kind of right. like community over food. That's another example of justice. If that is what floats your boat, food right. is such a universality that like. Right sitting down and having a meal with someone is is a that is that can be an act of rebellion so that's that is my big like never again will i take those spaces for granted i know i already said mine but you just made me think of another one i said this i said never again will i take for granted being able to walk into a store and buy oh any kind of that is a fascinating like example too ah well and then it also like that like (laughs) which we don't have time to unpack but it it, but it introduced other things like you know appreciating the people that produce the soap appreciating that you know there are people that are working 12-hour days to like keep shelves stocked um for me to just like go in yeah. store and be able to buy something in 30 seconds so, justice yeah, is thoughtfulness just like like that's that. what you've introduced the next time that you go to a yeah. grocery store every item that you've put in your cart took a lot of people to get there to like be thankful for those things yes Ugh. that's right 
Right. Yeah, so you know what everyone should do after you listen to this episode, you should go back to the most recent post about Lights Inside the Tunnel on Campus Ministries Instagram or Facebook page and leave us a comment about like what you're never take what tool of privilege you're never taking for granted again and you know how you want to be more mindful and thoughtful about how you move through yes, society. Julie I will, and I will be very excited. Yes, to, like, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Yeah. And I think like in that sense, like sharing those ideas with other people, like that is that helps, you know, yes, that is solidarity. Full circle, my guy. That's right. I love it. I love it. We didn't even plan it. We really didn't. All right, my friend. Thank Thank you. you I I thoroughly appreciate talking to you and and I hope a season two is in the works. I'll keep my eyes yeah, peeled. you know, if anything, if this year has taught me anything, it's that life does not go in any way that you predicted it. Open so minds and open hearts. We'll see. Thank you. That's for right. Me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for this awesome episode. You. Uh, stay safe. Sounds good. Stay you well. too, Fiona. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. That was it. That's the last bit of the last episode of season one of Lights Inside the Tunnel. And I hope that, you know, as we start to kind of come out of the tunnel that we're in, um, this mindfulness exercise and this challenge that, you know, we've presented here um, will be helpful to you as you navigate the new world that we're all going to be going out into. Really quickly, I just want to say thank you to a couple people in particular um, for allowing this podcast to be such a success. First, um, Alice Sakari, who is a mentor and inspiration of mine. I'm so grateful for her and her guidance. And then I'm also so grateful for the rest of the staff in campus ministry, including the wonderful, kind-hearted Tom Andino, the amazing and funny and charitable sister Anne and the wonderful and brilliant Father Dolan um, as well as all the other people on the work-study program who really helped create such a beautiful community in this time of social distancing. I also want to thank all of our incredible guests who came on to share their thoughts and their hearts with all of us, this podcast would not have been possible without them. Um, I also want to say a thank you to the Lemoyne faculty, staff, and administration who, you know, met such a challenging time with so much grace. You know, I said early on in this whole process to someone, I was like, it's really easy to respond to challenging times with fear, with angst, with anger, Um, and I have just been so inspired by the role models that my professors and the faculty and staff at Lemoyne have been, um, just in the sense that they have been so kind, so compassionate, uh, so graceful, and I am so grateful um, to attend a 
institution that really cares about people and sees us all as individuals with hearts, not numbers on a list. And lastly, thank you to you for being a listener from the very beginning. I'm so grateful for our audience. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. So, as always, until next time, and hopefully next time is on campus together, stay safe, wash your hands, and tell people you love them. Bye-bye.